this evening by telling you a story that you'll probably find appalling. A poor black woman living in Chicago's south side sought to have her apartment properly heated during the frigid winter months. And despite city law that demanded it, the unscrupulous landlord refused. The woman was a widow, desperately poor, and ignorant of the legal system. But she took the case to court on her own behalf. Justice, she declared, ought to be done. It was her ill fortune, however, to appear repeatedly before the same judge who, as it turned out, was an atheist and a bigot. The only principle by which he lived was, as he put it, that blacks should be kept in their place. The possibilities of a ruling favorable to the widow were therefore bleak. They became even bleaker as she realized that she lacked the one ingredient that was indispensable for favorable rulings in cases like this, namely a satisfactory bribe. Nevertheless, she persisted. And at first, the judge didn't so much as even look up from the novel he was reading before dismissing her. But soon he began to notice her. Just another black, he thought, stupid enough to think that she could get justice. Then her persistence made him self-conscious. This turned to guilt and to anger. Finally, raging and embarrassed, he granted her petition and enforced the case. Here was a massive victory over the system, at least as a consequence of his corrupted choice. Now that story that I just told was written just that way, published several decades ago in Christian Atlantic Press. The fellow who wrote it, David Wells, had been a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. But as he said later on in the article, the story, at least so far as we know, never actually and in fact, it's not his story at all. This is a retelling of a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18. But I think updating parables like this at times helps us to feel their force. Someone who is marginalized, someone who is desperate, someone who has no other recourse, appealing to an unjust judge for justice. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse number 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I think I 
tell you he will give judgment to you speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This story contains two explicit character traits, a widow and an unjust woman. And there's a lesson that we can learn from each of them. Let's begin with the widow. It's clear that throughout Scripture, God feels a special degree of concern with widows. They were among the most vulnerable people in all of the ancient world. And because of that, it was necessary to extend to them a special degree of compassion. Now, this widow had been wronged in some way. She had suffered some great injustice. She's suffering. And her only hope, her only recourse, is to try to seek some sort of redress from the court. But apparently, her suffering is compounded by the fact that she's all alone. Evidently, she has no man among her kindred or even among her friends. Because you see, a woman would only appear in court in Jewish society if she had no man whatsoever in her life to appeal to. So not only did she have no husband by definition, being a widow, she also had no father, no son, no brother, no cousin, no in-law, no nothing. She represents someone who is completely and totally desperate. And so she repeatedly came to the judge with her plea there in verse number three, give me justice against my adversary. Now, despite her disadvantages, here was one tiny advantage that you might call advantage she enjoyed over a man. She could come to the judge repeatedly, even pestering him, badgering him. A man would have been thrown out long before it got to that point. He might have even been imprisoned on account of it. We might compare it to contempt of court uh, in our own legal system. We don't know the specifics of her case. But if you know anything about Old Testament law at all, her case should have been clear. Regardless of the specifics, even if her case didn't have any real merit to it, she should have been treated with some degree of Exodus chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Or again, the prophet Isaiah chapter 1 verse 7. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. The law was, in fact, full of specific provisions for widows, so many that we don't even need to go into those tonight. But the point is, as a widow, she was to be taken care of. So whatever the facts of her case, she should have been treated with much more compassion. 
But beyond that, it seems that she actually did have a good legal case, whatever the specifics. You notice what she pleads for here is not special treatment. Don't not be merciful to me because I'm a widow. She demands justice. Vindicate me effectively is what she says. This woman had been wronged in some way. And so she is absolutely relentless in trying to get this wrong righted. Now this is unusual. It's not unique. We've seen a few other parables like this, but it's not exactly common either. Luke actually gives us the primary lesson we're to take from this parable right up front in chapter 18, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus intends to encourage his disciples to pray and to never give up, give up, to persevere. Now, in this widow, we see someone whose circumstances might have tempted her to give up. Just like that woman in that modernized uh, imaginative retelling of the parable said, it would have been easy for her to have become demoralized. She could have given up. She could have quit going back and stopped trying to seek justice, but she refused to quit. Her circumstances would have made it very easy for her to give up. And if this message is intended to teach us to persevere in prayer, to not quit regardless of our circumstances, then that's one that I think we desperately need to hear because frankly we're not very good at praying according to a a recent survey done by the pew forum among all professing christians in america 79 percent of those who describe themselves as evangelical protestants pray daily 79 percent those percentages were even lower for those who were or Orthodox, or mainline Protestants. They were down to 50%. And that's even more disconcerting when you realize that among Western democracies, the United States far and away has people who pray more than others do. And the numbers suggest beyond that that when we do actually pray, it's pretty haphazard. We don't set aside regular time for prayer. When we do pray, it's typically just for a minute or two or three. It's it's not sustained. It's not focused. And when I say we here, I'm including myself. I've said this before at times, uh, definitely to individuals. I don't know if I've made this point clear here in in a sermon or not. But so often, a lot of the things that I'm saying are directed to me just as much as they are to anyone else. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, as it were, right there in the pew beside you. And my prayer life is something that I think about a a great deal. It has its ebbs and flows and something that I've often thought uh, about how I need to work on it. And I constantly try to improve that. And sometimes it's successful and and sometimes it, it ebbs out a little bit. But we can probably all identify with that. How many of us here, don't have to ask this, raise your hand. But how many of us have had someone make a prayer request to us? Can't you pray for me today? And we said, absolutely, we will. With the best of intentions, we fully intended to, but just slipped our mind. 
himself to his trap. At least we got to follow through on it. Or maybe it's someone that we actually prayed for at a time or two, but then it got moved to the back of the priority list and we sort of let it drop as we moved on to other things. Or how many of us have been on the flip side of that? when we've said to someone, hey, I'm really struggling with this. I I want you to pray for me, or I'm concerned about this test I have coming up, or I've got this problem in my family, whatever it may be. And then when we talked to that person later, it was evident that even though they'd said they were going to pray for us, that they'd forgotten to do so. And in those situations, I try not to judge those people harshly because, of course, I've been in that same boat myself. See, the point is, this is something that each and every one of us could do better in. Now, I know that this congregation has a a goal of taking prayer seriously, and that's encouraging, that's admirable. Uh, When I started here, my very first Sunday, the night before, there was a a prayer vigil all night long. It was a great time. I've mentioned this before, but the elders began every meeting every week with a prayer, and it's one that's very uh, focused. Sometimes they'll spend 15 to 20 minutes not only talking about the people that are in need of prayers, but actually going through those things in detail, and, and that's commendable. I want to encourage all of us in our own personal prayer life to try to set a goal to become more intentional in the way we go about prayer especially as we're coming into a new year. That'd be a great goal as we step into the new year. Let's try to be more intentional in our practice of prayer. And we can think about some practical suggestions here so you don't let those things slip your mind. Write it down. I've been better about that at some times than at others, but uh, suggestions are to write it down. Write them down into groups. Uh, maybe one day you pray, a, one day of the week you pray about those who are struggling with illnesses. Maybe another day you pray about the work of the church. Maybe another day you pray about your cancer battle, etc. You can organize your week that way. If you're one that's a little more technologically inclined, I brought my phone uh, up here for this reason. I normally don't have it with me, but I wanted to make sure I get this right. There's an app uh, that I've used. It's called Echo Prayer, E-C-H-O, Echo Prayer. Search for that on the app store if you have an iPhone. I'm sure it's available on Android also. But at any rate, this is an app specifically designed for your prayer life. You put in those that you need to pray for. So if you don't want to forget a prayer request, type it into your phone app here. You can type in what they want to be prayed for, uh, that is what their specific need is. And what's great about this is you can set reminders on your phone. So if, for example, you want to set aside a regular time of prayer at 8 o'clock in the morning or before bed at 9 o'clock in the evening, whatever, you can have that reminder go off and it will save for you to pray. If you want to have it randomly remind you about a specific person to pray for, you can put it that way too. Pray for so-and-so about this. It'll bring it to your attention. Another thing that you might uh, find helpful, I've done this in the past, and I used to, but I didn't anymore. I found it helpful. Uh, You may not. Uh, But this is a a prayer book. Uh, This has not only specific prayers designed for different times of the day, but it has the psalms that are actually pulled, translated out here for you. And the idea is to just uh, read through these at regular times of the day. Uh, Now, Admittedly, this comes from the Orthodox Church, and some of these prayers are things that I wouldn't recommend you praying, things to saints and to the Virgin Mary, 
books like that. Uh, but I found this useful, and you could do the same thing without a book like this, with just a psalm to lay in front of your table. Jesus, of course, uh, condemned vain repetition of prayer because repetition is only vain repetition. And if you focus on these words, I found the sort of routine of it and trying to think my way and pray my way through the various psalms very helpful. Your mileage may vary. You can find something helpful, but I encourage you to at least think about it. The point is, however we do it, to try to become more deliberate in our prayer life. Spontaneous prayer is great, and I don't want to discourage that, but I feel like that's the way most of us probably do it. I pray when I think about it. Most of us do probably pray every day to do, but it's one of those things that whenever we feel the need for prayer, whenever it sort of comes to our mind, and we don't go about it intentionally with a set time of day, I encourage us to try to be a little more specific in our prayer life. Of course, that may be harder to do, to persevere in prayer when it seems like an answer to our prayer has come. That is, God hasn't given us what we're asking him for, but on the other hand, he hasn't actually closed the door on it either, so it's just sort of hanging out there in limbo. And maybe it's one of those things that we know is actually something that's positive, know that it's within his will. It could be uh, something, a common example of praying for the salvation of a, a friend or a loved one. We're wondering why they haven't come around, and we've been praying for that for some time. Well, the widow in the parable suggested we just need to keep on praying. We never know what may happen in the future. We need to persist and trust that it's all in God's hands and that he's going to answer our prayers. And what that reminds us is that our persistence our perseverance isn't really limited to prayer. That's the foremost example here in, in the parable, but this woman encourages us to persevere in every aspect of the Christian life. We'll inevitably find at times that living a life of faith isn't easy. Sometimes it may be extraordinarily difficult when we have pressures from the world pressing down upon us. When it seems like everybody else is doing what we know we ought not to be doing and that everybody else is too, even the people who are supposed to be Christians. Or maybe our, our job is on the line because of our faith. Whatever it may be, we're called to endure. But we know we can endure because we have a just judge. And that brings us to the second character in this story. The other character in this story is an unjust judge. He didn't fear or respect God or man. Now, normally, ancient Jewish culture was an honor-shame culture. So, normally, he could be shamed by public opinion into doing what he actually was supposed to be doing. But this man didn't care. He completely insulated himself from any sort of public opinion. He was hardened to it. Finally, he does the right thing. He gives justice in this case, not because it's the right thing to do, but because he's annoyed. He's irritated by this woman, and so he just quits bothering her. She's not coming around all the time. He goes ahead and does what he ought to have done in the first place. He just wants to get rid of her. The unjust judge is presented here as a contrast to God. This is rabbinic reasoning. This is uh, the way the rabbis often told parables. 
And the point is, is we see this out of a fallible man, not only a fallible man, in this case, an evil man. If an evil man will ultimately execute justice, then how much more can we expect from our God who perfectly judges and who will so Jesus asked the question, will God give justice to his elect? That's rhetorical. Because the answer is, of course he will. We know that he will. He's the ultimate standard of justice and righteousness. We know that we can rely on him. But it's one thing to, to know that. It's another thing to really believe it. any consolation, Christians have been asking that very same question since just the generation after Jesus. And Peter answers it encouragingly in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We know this passage. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God doesn't bring about that ultimate right and wrong because once he does that, the door will forever slam shut on just one more person coming to repentance. It's his mercy that holds back his justice.